When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Tonight's episode, we're joined by filmmaker Damien Collaudi. Damien has a brand new four-part docuseries on YouTube out called Immortal Soul, a riot tribute and concert film. It surrounds the history of the legendary New York City band Riot. Damien didn't get into Riot until about three years ago, so it was really cool how this band from 40 years ago is affecting this guy, you know, 40 years later. Now, the film centers around the Keep It True Festival from 2022 in Germany, and Damien was there uh, interviewing people from the crowd, fans of Riot. It truly is like a cool, cool vibe. Again, this four-part documentary series explores the history and archives of the different eras of Riot. Immortal Soul also features interviews with past members of Riot in our dialogue with Damien, we find out what inspired him to make this film series with vintage concert footage, eight millimeter personal film and concert advertisements. This is filled with just like nostalgia and never seen before concert videos. It truly is cool. Additionally, post conversation with Damien, we caught up with our friend Rick Ventura, the riot guitarist from 79 through 83 and founder of current active band, Riot Act. So Rick's here to talk about episodes one and two, give his commentary and reflect back on some of the old days with Riot. He was amazed at some of this video footage. It's cool. This is really a cool conversation. So that's coming up in just a second. But first, we just want to remind you to get up to our website, metalmayhemroc.com. Join our community by signing up for the newsletter. There you'll get updates on everything we do here. We have podcasts. We have YouTube interviews. We have a live radio show on Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio. So there's a lot going on up here at MMROC. So get involved. All right. Well, let's get into this. Damien Collati, filmmaker, immortal soul, a riot tribute and concert film. And then Rick Ventura of Riot and Riot Act. For my co-host, Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. We are Metal Mayhem ROC. Today 
we have a fun one. We have independent filmmaker, rock enthusiast, Damien Collaudi here today to talk about the brand new four-part series he put together, Immortal Soul, a riot tribute and concert film series. Damien, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. How are you, man? Great, man. Thanks for having me. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Metal Walt. What's up, Damien? He's a Jersey guy. I'm Rochester, New York, so we have a nice uh, little recipe of metal here. Before we get into this, and we're really excited because longtime fans of all this, why Riot? Why now? And how did this all come about? Well, Riot was a new discovery for me. I, I just, you know, I had found out about them a little over two years ago, I guess, now. And I was just like, holy fuck. Like, why have I never heard from the, of this band? You know, I'm from Jersey, lived in New York, like into the rock scene, into the metal scene. You know, listening to WSOU as a teenager and all that. And I'm like, what? Who is this band? And why do I not know them? And they sound great. And then, like, they have all these different, like, albums and different styles and different versions of the band. And I was just like, this is so weird. And I just started, like, getting obsessed with them and, like, the music and the story and, like, what what is going on here? <laughs> like, why is this yeah. band not, like, hugely known? And it's just sort of... uh became a bit of an obsession and I started buying all their records, you know, just the vinyl. And I'm like, I'm going to buy all these guys vinyls. And they had all these nice archive sets, you know, that had been out already at that time. And I'm like, well, someone appreciates this music and as, uh, you know, put, put these sets together and I'm going to, I'm just going to explore, you know, I just was like really excited about discovering all of that, the whole discography pretty much, you know, like the same moment in time or over a short period of time. Damien, I, I got to ask you to further that point. I'm 53. I don't know how old you are, but, um, you know, uh, it, it's interesting because on YouTube, I see that you put a video out there. It's almost an hour of your whole riot collection. So um, I guess, you know, to further on, I mean, number one, my first question is, you're Jersey, you're from New York, and you're currently living in Germany. Like, how did you end up over there and why are you there? Um, that's my family situation brought me here. I had my my son was born in Munich in Germany. And uh I came over here to do the family thing. Um, it was just a better place to be, you know, to have a kid and all that. And I'd been in New York living that sort of uh east village you know rock and roll lifestyle for quite some time i'm i'm 46 now so i'm like you know i i could use a change from the city the city lifestyle's getting a little a little tough and it's not really the great place for the kids so like i'll i'll go over there and change it up and see what that's like <laughs> okay okay but in the meantime you're discovering riot right so i mean maybe to add on to your point when did you discover Riot and and as you started doing this like obsession, gotta have everything about Riot, how far along did it take before you got to the point where you said, okay, now I'm going to make an independent film about this. And then from that point, how long did it actually take for you to gather everything you needed for this project to put it together and shoot it? Well, that's not a short answer, but... <laughs> It was end of 2021, I started sort of like, I had read that article in, I guess, Louder Magazine, like, you know, the unluckiest band in the world, and they had some videos, and it was a really like a well-written, interesting article, and that sort of like hooked me. That's when I started exploring. Um, and then it had been 
quite some time. And, and while during that exploration, I saw there, there was a film about Riot Out, the Fight or Fall film that the Metal Voice put out, uh, which, which, you know, has a lot of information. And so I'm like, you know, I had uh, Steve Blush, who's in the film, wrote a book, New York Rock. He's in my previous film about Bitch, A Lady's Tribute to Metal, which was a rock and roll party at Don Hills with just women singing metal covers. And I made a film about that. And he was the DJ and promoter of that. And he's in the last film. And he was like, you should make a film about Riot. And I was like, there's already a film out there. You know, like, uh, uh, probably what doesn't make sense to do anything since that film's out there. And so I, I put it aside for some time. But like, as I kept like researching and enjoying the band, I kept finding like these little different interviews or you know, ar historical video artifacts online and sort of downloading them and, and collecting them. And uh, at some point, I'm like, I saw Riot 5 was was playing at the Keep It True Festival, which is like a couple hours from Munich. And I'm like, I've never heard of this festival, but like, I'm going to go see them, you know, like, and I and I contacted Mike Flint and said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'd like to make a little documentary, like a mini documentary. I'll just do like the European angle you know, I'll, I'll approach it differently. I'll just talk to the European fans um, to make it different from the other film. It'll be like a mini doc, you know, and then, and then we'll see. We'll just do something small. You know, it'll be just like a little tester. <laughs> so, so I went there and I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to film, but, you know, I, I ended up shooting with my iPhone, those most of those interviews. And uh, when, once I got going, it's just like people started introducing me to other Riot fans and I just started getting good good interviews and and cool footage and uh you know it grew from 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 that moment it grew then later I did interviews with Mike Flint and Donnie and then Mike Flint introduced me to Giles Lavery who had put together the Riot archives and some months later he sort of gave me the Mark Reality archive on a hard drive which had a lot of that old footage uh that that was in the film it was, I had to like really work with that footage because it was like out of sync and all chopped up uh, in this one QuickTime file. And I had to basically like reassemble it. Um, so, so I didn't set out like, oh, I'm going to make like this big epic four part, you know, movie and spend the next year doing that. It was just grew into this like huge project from what I thought was going to be a, a mini documentary. Well, Damien, we want to get into a lot of the details about that because we have a ton of comments and questions for you on that. But I think one of the most important points is in the first episode is you bring up the point, you say it's a great story and your goal was to make sure that Riot wasn't forgotten. So I think that's a testament to how we all feel about the band, but, uh, but just talk about that comment itself and what it meant to you to, to keep that legacy going. Well, because that was one of the motivations. I was just like, this band deserves to be more known. They certainly deserve, like, their music deserves to be out there. Like, just, yeah, I started asking my friends back in New York, like, hey, do you guys know Riot? Like, a couple people, a handful of people were like, oh, yeah, I heard about them. But more often than not, I heard, oh, you mean Quiet Riot? I'm like, no, 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 just fucking Riot. You know, and I realized, like, like, man, like, no one knows about this band, like, you know, from my contemporaries, like, this is just bizarre. And I'm like, I can do something. And it, it just became like, 
I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it became like I couldn't get out of my brain. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this little mini documentary and get it out of my system, you know, like because I just keep thinking about it, keep finding things and it became like a mission. And I'm like, you know, I can do this. I I have a background and skills where I can, I can, I think, put something together and present it in a way that maybe it hasn't been presented before, you know, like people have been doing a lot of stuff, but like presenting it in a larger format and that's very accessible and coherent. Like, you know, I have a documentary background doing that. So it, yeah. and with rock and roll material too. So, it, you know, it fit into like what I had been doing with the NYC rocks over the years. And I'm, and yeah, it just became like, like this mission. Um, the more I learned about it, the more I'm like, yeah, Mar you know, Mark Reale really deserved better. He deserved more. And, and, uh, I don't know. You, you feel sort of like, I never met him obviously, but you feel a little bit of a, like a kinship in with his spirit, just like a, as you're learning about him and his personality and some of the things he went through and things like that. So, you know, like I started to really like relate to them in some ways as, as an artist also trying to, you know, get myself out there and my work out there and probably not getting this, you know, the success that you want or the attention that you want or, you, you know, so, so there was, it was all that together, I guess, intertwined. There was something magical in like guys' voice and that sound that they had together. Just something like, like a, I don't know what the word is, like, like classical and timeless, you know, in their sound. And, um, you know, I started getting more into like the last few years, sort of like the new wave of British heavy metal sound, more the this traditional heavy metal sound. Um, I mean, I got into metal in like the early '90s, you know, like like '90, 90, '91, like when Guns N' Roses and Van Halen and uh, same same time as Nirvana was also coming out, you know. But I was into Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, but not, you know, when they were at their peak. It was like you know, already the early nineties and grunge was coming on. So, so I did miss, you know, that golden age of, of metal yeah. and rock, like in the mid to late eighties. Um, but I always liked the kind of metal that's, um, fast and melodic, you know, like the vocal style for me, I like when they can sing most of the time, but I like really fast. So then I've riot had that, especially with like the thunder steel stuff too. Like that for me is like that formula of fast, aggressive, high energy music, metal, hard rock. I mean, I, you know, like I like the whole spec. I like punk rock, you know, like all of it. Um, that combination just sort of uh, resonated, it just sonically resonated for me. And, and all their, you know, in those particular forms, the speed metal stuff and then like the early guy stuff, like it just, I don't know. Sometimes you just hear something and you're just like, yeah, it comes back to vocals, and you're right on the the guy vocals. The band, you know, I've been to, in into Riot for years, but you're right. I subscribe to the has to have a hook. You have to be able to listen to the um, the vocalist. Now, don't get me wrong; I could easily pivot to harder stuff like Slayer and Exodus and that thrash stuff. But I grew up on that. I was a 14 year old kid getting into that, so it's in my DNA. But for someone that's older getting into that, you don't have that connection to it. For me, John, it's like I'm 53, so I'm a little bit older than Damien. However, it took me a while because I missed a boat by about five years from that sweet spot of metal. 
right? So I had to catch up just like he did. And unfortunately, I never got to see the classic lineup. I saw the Riot 5 lineup. Actually, it was like about a couple of days right around the time Mark passed in 2012. They played BB Kings in New York City. Oh, you were at was, that show. Yeah. I was in that I've been show. editing footage from that show for a later chapter, actually. Okay. Okay. I have a I have a great audio track of that. If you need some assistance on that, I can send that to you as well. Um, but uh, but that's the point too. But Damien, I there was a part in one of your segments where you got out with the fans. And to this point here is you asked the fans to describe what they like about the band. And it's not an easy question to answer, but I thought of it for myself and I wrote it out and I want to read to you what I think Riot means to me. So to me, Riot is a good, clean, hard rock metal band with melodic vocals, memorable songs, and great shredding. It's new wave of British heavy metal or power metal sound perfected. That's what Riot is to me. We can splice that in right there, right into that part in the film. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty accurate. Same, you know, similar reason why I, I appreciate them also. You know, I want to go back to the film itself because it's well done and put together. But you know what I love, or John and I love that the opening is you're on the train going to keep it true. And, you know, you're sitting in the European train and you're on your way. But what makes this documentary or this film really, really nice is, yes, it's based around the Keep It True Festival. But you're talking to Oliver, the show promoter. You're talking to all of these colorful fans. And there's a lot of them. A lot of them. From the curly blonde hair guy that's almost spilling his beer to <laughs> the couple, um, you know, to lots of great quotes. But... It's the interplay between the show, you guys going back to the archive footage and the beginnings of the band, and then as Riot 5 are playing these classic songs, you're showing the performance, yet you're also taking us through a back history and talking to the fans of the promoter about like their opinions of Riot. So just talk a little bit about like what you set out in how this whole structure of the, the film was going to be laid out. Well, I, d I didn't know that I would have all this archival footage, you know, when I was doing that. Um, but I knew the questions and the topics that I wanted to cover. So I was able to sort of like steer the interviews thematically, you know, based around, you know, the questions I gave and, and the conversations I had where I know there were certain topics I wanted to talk about, like, well, how did you feel about, you know, like the different eras or what makes the music special? And, and so, um, you know, I've done that with other films. I've done two documentaries about revolutions in Ukraine outside of all the rock stuff. And it was also like doing a lot of these, you know, people on the street interviews and trying to tell a story with these inter with interviews, just talking to people and piecing that together later. Um, so uh, I've, I've had some experience doing that. And I think I was able to sort of like get you know, it's not easy approaching like strangers and just asking them to talk on camera. So it takes a little warming up and trying to get people comfortable and, um, you know, loose and, and relaxed and not everyone was, but a lot, a lot were. So, so there's, you know, there's definitely this like interpersonal dynamic at play when doing that. And, and I wanted to get like people from different countries, people from different, you know, age brackets also. I mean, this was interesting for me because um, you know, most of the time online, you see like the people 
who comment on these riot groups that they're older people. They're people who grew up with them. And here there's like a whole new generation of people that are appreciating the music and into it. And, and so that was also, you know, like, ah, this is this is something, you know, I want to explore. Um, so so it started out just just being that and all the other interviews. That was the first thing I did. All the other interviews came later, you know, with Oliver, with Mike and. You know, I didn't know if it would come together or not. It's sort of like like your your build a little sculpture, and then you're like, oh, let me try putting this here and that here, and, and it just builds out. <laughs> what was the plan? Two part question here. Did you set out to make a four parter? And what was the plan if you didn't receive all this additional media? You talked about the Super 8 home movies, um, the, the exclusive footage. How would you make up four parts of this? Well, I wasn't going to make four parts. But like I said, I just wanted, I just thought I'd make a mini documentary. I'm just like, I'm just going to go and make like a 20 minute thing about Riot, you know, like, like just talk to some people, edit it together, put something, to, you know, a little thing together. And then maybe I can... I don't know, build some interest from the band or, or somewhere to get some funding to do something bigger or not. But like, you know, let me just put together like a shorter thing and then see how that goes. And and maybe, you know, down the line, because, you know, like doing something like taking on a project like that for no budget, no money, it sort of doesn't really make sense at this, yeah. at this age. Uh, <laughs> so, of course. So. Oh, of course. Well, some of that, some of that footage is fantastic. Like the, uh, the, the home movies of the guys walking around New York and it's perfectly intertwined with the, the content and the, the copy of the piece. Let me ask you that. Did you get this from the real estate? Where did you get all this stuff? So th this came from, from Giles Lavery who put together the riot archive collections. And he also produced that movie that the metal voice did called fight or fall. I don't know if you guys have seen that. And they use a lot of that footage, but they, they used it in a different way. They used it more as B-roll. Um, so like you, they'll have interviews and they'll drop it over the interview without audio. And when I saw the footage, I'm like, you know, it's really cool to just like hear the natural sound from that. And the audio is actually out of sync. So I had to re sync the audio. And then I, you know, that it was a scattered all in one QuickTime file. Across, so I had to like find those little bits that I thought could go together it sort of construct like that New York City montage of them walking around and doing this, you know, and and put that all together. But but that that footage and everything that came Giles got because he went into Mark's bedroom and pulled out like boxes of stuff. Wow. Sam so awesome. All this stuff and initially, you know, came from Mark's bedroom. Mark's dad had let Mike Flint and Giles come in and be like, Yeah, I mean, you know, after Mark had passed, like the stuff was just there in his bedroom. So it was better that someone someone came and it took Giles about a year to um, go through and organize it. You know, there are all these like unmarked tapes and things like that. And and he had to like figure out what, what was there because it wasn't labeled or anything. The one thing that I loved was the one piece of video footage you have throughout is the pro shot footage of the band playing it looks like Long Island or New York and just the imagery and throughout, you know, what the people are wearing, what the people in the crowd are wearing. And even that grainy super eight, you still, and you guys being native New Yorkers, 
the streets of New York, the New York in the seventies is different than what New York is now. And it's a compliment and you really, really captured something. And the editing is just, you're going from 1977 combination of still photos of these guys in someone's bedroom to all of a sudden, you know, you go back current day and have a commentary from one of these concert goers that you talked about. And they're talking about it was just well, well edited. Did you realize after your editing, you're like, wow, this is something I wasn't thinking about that we're achieving. No, no. Well, well, okay. There's like when we first start going into that 70s vibe, you'll get, you have those, some of those 70s New York City shots. Those were shots, I, you know, that I put in there that were not part of that Mark Reale archive. Those were just, you know, B-roll shot stock footage that yeah. I'm like, oh, let me set the 70s New York vibe here you know, before we get into this footage. And then footage sort of carries it forth. But like all that street stuff, you know, with the cop car and the house, you know, like the traffic, like that that stuff that I put in to just sort of like, you know, set the scene basically. Mm -hmm. I then, love that these, uh, like these graffiti images of like the old days of metal where, you know, teenagers went out and they spray painted underneath their local tunnels or their local schoolyard. Just to know those photos exist is is just badass. <laughs> yeah, like I I love that shot where they're like at the basketball court and they're all there and he's like, you know, doing pull ups on the on thing. Like to me, that's just so like such a like New York classic New York feel to it. Like so I, <laughs> yeah, like and the, when they're walking around, like I just loved like it's like time travel, you know, like the, the like this when I first saw this footage, I'm like, holy shit, this is like fucking magical, you know, like. That's what I'm saying. It's magical. Someone my age that's watching this, I know they're going to go back. It's like, it's a time capsule. It is like, it brought me back to when as a 14 year old, and I heard on my local rock channel, the first time I heard swords and tequila, but, um, let, let's talk about how riot got a bad record label deal and just the, the turmoil of the band. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but th this is what everyone has mm -hmm. talked about is this, you know, record deal that they initially signed. And apparently that's why, uh, you know, like Phil fight left and, and Lou didn't want to sign it. Uh, and it, you know, like these guys who left early on didn't want to sign the contract. And as it says in the, in the film, you know, their lawyer advised them against signing it, but they just wanted a record deal. And, uh, they were young and it, it, they sort of gave up all their control. Like, like the, the cover and all that, like all that stuff that was done with the seal mascot, you know, that, they, they had nothing, no input into that. That just was like, okay, here's how, what it's going to be. Here's what it's going to look like. You know, they, once they recorded the music, they were sort of out of, out of the picture and the finances were just, um, you know, they didn't know what was going on. They weren't getting reports or, accounting or anything and yeah i mean that's that that's what hurt them you know down the line is why guys kept leaving the band is that uh they weren't able to like sort of get a living wage i guess damien there was a, a segment where um it shows the importance of riot because you uh, there was footage of uh James and Lars coming in wearing their riot t-shirts, right? But it also, the interesting point was around how 
they got the guidance from the management of Metallica, Cliff Bernstein at the time, where he basically said, run, run, get out of this. This is a bad deal. You guys have all the songs and all the tools and all the talent, but you got to get out of your band management. And I believe it was Rick Ventura who was the one that went on your documentary and stated that. So um, talk a little bit about that uh, comment you heard from Rick and what you heard from the professionals that were there at the time. Um, well, the riot was, you know, that the talent was there, they were up and coming, but I, I guess like the way their management operated and it, and it interacted with other people from on the business side, um, they were not wanting to relinquish control, you know, like they just didn't want it. It just, I guess they wanted to just like keep control of the whole situation. And, and, you know, Mark mentions it. Rick mentions it. I mean, a- anyone who was there, I guess, has that. I mean, it's hard for me to comment more than what's on the film because, because I, you know, I that was before my time. <laughs> right. But um, I think, you know, these guys just had control, and like like John Zazula, you know, when he had Metallica, at some point, you know, he let them. They they went up. He was crushed by it, but you know, they moved on to a bigger label. Um, and that's what they needed to do to grow, even though like John had done all this stuff for them, right? To bring them onto Megaforce and created the label and, but to get to the next level, they needed to move beyond that. And Riot did also, but those guys didn't want to let them go. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Damien, what I don't understand about that first, uh, the, the, the management, the fact that they had such a stranglehold on the band financially, but yet they weren't letting them, you know, be profitable or expand. It didn't make sense. And they were on the big, they were getting big tours, right? They landed an opening slot on, um, uh, on the rush tour. Uh, Rick, when we had Rick on our show about a year ago, he was talking about, um, the nerves that they had going out and, uh, you know, o- o- opening up their hometown show in Nassau Coliseum, you know? So the goods were there. They were getting on those tours. It's just a, a shame that, uh, you know, they had, they got, they got more lives to come, but it wasn't to be at that point. Well, guy, guy had had enough. He'd had, a, you know, he'd been doing it I, I guess, for five years at that point. Right. And I, uh, I guess he felt things weren't going anywhere. He was tired of the business. He was maybe tired of the personalities, tired of being on the road and, uh, wanted to settle down and, um, he, he checked out and that, that was, I mean, yeah, like, like Rick says that that was the sound of riot. I mean, guys, his writing style at like every, everything was like that, that was this, the magic it was part of the magic, you know, Mark and guy, you know, they were the writing team, right? So that that really like threw them through their trajectory out of, out of whack, I think. And that's and that's where you um, I think you do an, an amazing job at uh, closing out uh, chapter one because chapter one ends when Guy makes the decision to leave the band. So, Damien, talk about chapters two, three, and four. What's to come in the vision of your project now as you? <laughs> Leave from that point, and it and it goes up to where in their history. Well, I'll just say, like initially, I didn't plan to have this chronology. Initially, I wanted to just jump around between the different eras of Riot and sort of like explore a little bit here, explore a little bit there, because that's how I started discovering them. And I feel like sometimes there's people who just get like stuck in one era and they're they're not open to like exploring some of the other versions so i kind of wanted to mix it up but then as i got access to this footage and the story started coming together i'm like okay i can make a coherent chronology here um so chapter two picks up with rhett forrester replacing guy um and then it uh, there's not a whole ton of footage from that time like there was from the the guy time and I'm not sure where that footage mm-hmm. came from, if it was like their management recording at the time or if it was Mark and his friends, because Mark was also um, liked filmmaking before he really started focusing on music. Um, I've heard that or read that he, you know, he like he had Super 8 cameras and he liked filming. So maybe that was just like his personal movie collection, but it's not a whole bunch of footage, but it goes into Guy. We showcase some of the uh, stuff with Guy and the music videos that they made. They made two music videos with Guy. Restless Breed and Born in America. So we're sort of like, just like, okay, like how did their music sound change and and focus at the, uh, you know, highlighting that, the music. And then- um, Are you are you referring to Rat? You were saying Guy. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Just to clarify that. Yeah, so they did the two videos. And and that, make, that makes sense because the MTV explosion was in 81. So by 82, 83, and the momentum of the band never stopped because they were getting those arena slots. 
the, I saw him with the Scorpions in Rainbow. That was a, a major arena tour in the golden age of, of metal and MTV. So, you know, the, 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 the momentum was continuing. Yeah, they were, they were still on Elektra Records for the Restless Breed album, but then they got dropped after that. And so the Born in America album was put out by a small indie label in Canada called Quality Records. And after that, they didn't have like the big label backing. And so, you know, they went from Capitol and playing like on these tours still that you're saying, you know, still still building in that momentum that they had built over all these years. Um, but then it was like a step backwards. Then, and, th and then after that, the band sort of disintegrated. Yeah, that's what you're going to say. Like they did have uh, a bit of a renaissance when Thundersteel came out in the late 80s or 90. I can't remember what year it was. And their sound changed a little bit. It was more like around that traditional power metal, European power metal. Um, but then I just remember it being, this is when I was picking up Riot. I remember going to It's Only Rock and Roll on A Street. And I remember one of the guys that used to go in there, Vinny, he handed me the Thundersteel promo cassette that he made a copy of it and he's like yeah you got to listen to this this is some good shit you know and it's new york accent and that i was sold at that point in time but you know again then it was just you know you had mike DeMeo and mark torelli and it just was guys coming and going i remember seeing them at a place in jersey called double d's in the early 2000s and um it was actually sad. It was Mark and Mark Torelli, and I don't remember who the other guys were, and they played this little bar, and there was probably under 100 people there. Great show, but this is was just the band holding on for dear life. So, um, Damien, talk about how you you have covered those eras in your film. So, so the chapter two also goes into the Narita band in Texas, where Mark hooked up with Donnie Van Stavern, and that's when they first did this Thundersteel sort of sound. So the film explores like this transition uh, from Mark switching his guitar stylings uh, in his collaboration with Donnie and, and how they went back to New York and sort of formed the Thundersteel lineup and put out this power speed metal album, which I love. Some people who like the classic Riot don't like, but it's also i think has the same formula where it's high fast energy aggressive music with like this melodic overtones over it um but it's definitely like a more metal sounding you know music piece but so, so chapter two goes explores like this this was interesting to me is like how did they go from here to there you know how from like the rep forest like how did their music and I did an interview with Donnie and he talks about how Mark was getting more into like the guitar virtuosos, you know, like Malmsteen and all that and, and wanting to up his game. And, um, you know, that's where music was, was moving at the time with like a lot of these metal bands coming up. So it's like, okay, let's, let's get back into like what's, what's happening, you know? Um, so again, that, that goes into chapter two goes into the, the end of the 80s uh, into about Privilege of Power 1990. And then chapter three is uh, the DeMeo era, which is the 90s uh, into early 2000s. And the DeMeo era was actually like they're, more, they're most consistent. They put out six albums with Mike DeMeo, which is, mm -hmm. you know, they'd never done that before. And that was pretty, um, you know, rare for them to have like this stability within, within their lineup. 
Um, and I actually really like chapter three. It's not so well known. And the music is, uh, it's a different style, but I feel it's like a combination of all their previous styles, you know, like fused together. And it's just like melodic metal style. Uh, with Mike DeMeo had more sort of like a Rhett Forrester type vocal style. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that style, that era also. And there's more footage of Mark from that era. Um, so for me, that chapter three is really cool because you get to see a lot more of Mark Reale behind the scenes um, and get a sense for his personality and how he worked. And, and you know, part of this project is also giving Mark a voice. You know, like finding these old recordings of Mark telling his story and and putting them, finding the where where they're going to fit best and putting them together. So, um, chapter three really like um, like Mark came into his own. He 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 left the label finally in the mid '90s, and you know that he had been with since '75 or '77 when they signed. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah. this story of Mark Reale also. That's being presented more, I think, as the chapters go on, or or as the as we move through like the different eras, you're also getting a sense of Mark's story too. I have uh, one comment. Uh, maybe I have to do my heavy metal homework, but you mentioned at this era, Mike on vocals, Mark Raleigh on guitar. Donnie left after the Privilege of Power album, and he was replaced with Pete Perez, uh, also from from Texas. He was part of this you know, San Antonio metal scene and mm-hmm. Bobby Yerzombek, who was on uh Thundersteel and privilege of power. So he was sort of in and out of the band through the nineties. He did their first album with Mike DeMeo, Nightbreaker. Then uh, John Macaluso drummed for Brethren of the Longhouse, which came out in, I think 94. And then Yerzombek came back for Inishmore in 96 and Sons of Society in 97 and then uh, Bobby Rondinelli drummed uh, in 2002 oh, wow. for Through the Storm. And then Frank Gilchrist drummed uh, for Army of One. And it came out in 2005. And he, Frank Frank is the current drummer for Riot 5. Um, so Mike Flintz was the guitarist through all that time. Since 89, when he, we started touring with them. Um, and then after Privilege of Power, he became, you know, a recording member, full-fledged member. And he's been with the band ever since. And Mike's, uh, a Mark's, you know, guitar, dueling guitar partner. Yep, and they have yep. some great dueling guitar stuff during that time. Like, I, like, I really, like, love hearing that. That's, I think, the highlight for me from from that is just, like, the Mike Flint's Mark Reale dueling guitars going on. Um and and Mike DeMail, you know, was the vocalist. So, you know, it's it's pretty steady, except the drummers kept changing. But Pete Perez stayed stayed on through and up until the Thundersteel reunion, also. So, yeah, it was the most stable lineup, right. six albums, but they're not as well known. But they're worth checking out. Well, I got my uh, heavy metal homework in front of me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Mike, I, I'd look at him as he's kind of the he's taking this band forward. He takes it personal. This is his band now. It's a tribute to his friend who brought him on board, and and he's going to carry that legacy of the band forward. I mean, he, he's to me, he's the the sound and the name behind Riot Five. So, just back to the Keep It True Festival, Damien. You were there, you witnessed it, you talked to the fans. Talk a little bit about the performance. Like, how did the European crowd take 
Riot 5. You had a sort of a new up-and-coming singer, Todd, coming out here. Like, did he deliver? I love the image of court of by the way, of of in the video of him showing up Mark's guitar case. I thought that was that was like dear to yeah. your heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean Todd's a fantastic vocal vocalist. Like like uh I mean you'll see it more in, in, when we get to chapter four, which is you know, sort of the origin story of of Riot Five, but he he just sings like all the he can cover like every era almost like effortlessly. It seems like he's he's just very like natural and um the, he was very well received. I mean, people love you know, especially in Europe, they love like this power metal sound. So you know, you know, so they're more into like the like Thundersteel is the album yeah. for them more so than like the. I mean, they appreciate like the fire down under and the red, but like Thundersteel is really like, you know, that's like what turned them on to Riot. So that this sound that is more in the power metal Thundersteel sound of Riot Five, um, and that's the collaboration between Mike Flintz and Donnie Van Stavern, um, which is you know having again this high energy aggressive metal, but with this melodic stuff going on all around it and fused together and yeah people love it people knew the words you know like like there especially this keep the keep it true festival like the people here there really appreciate more underground bands and cult metal and traditional metal and they're they're really sort of like experts you know in that genre and on, on the scene and that that's one reason i wanted to explore the festivals a little bit to sort of establish that that like you know, these are people who take their metal really seriously. You know, they're not like casual. Like this is their life. This is their religion, and um, you know they well they know what they're talking about, or they mean they really mean it. You know, like like they're passionate about it to a level that you know, sort of maybe the average rock and roll person is not. Like these are people who really like dig into things. Um, so they're, I mean, they're super. You know, Raya Five are superstars. Damien, let's recap the YouTube schedule where people could find information about New York rocks and everything with this docu-series. Uh, so there's a YouTube channel, NYC Rocks TV, um, and that's where everything is playing. And and um, I'm premiering it every Saturday in January uh, at 2 o'clock New York time, 8 p.m. Germany time. So there's like a premiere and then a live chat during the premiere, and then the film will just live on that link for some time. So it's it's a, it'll be available um, there, in, you know, indefinitely at the moment. And um, yeah, so there's one chapter every Saturday in January for four chapters. Chapter three, the Riot Metal era, '90s into early 2000s. So then chapter four is a Thundersteel reunion, and then the continuing on as riot five and then there is a bonus episode which is the mark and guy 1994 writing jam and what that is is something that exists to the public as part of these right archive sets so there's uh five i think five different sets Mm-hmm. And uh, on one of the, yeah, yeah. only on the CD, there's a data track that was recorded when there was a, in 1994, Guy wanted to, to do a comeback. 
And he got together with Mark to just like try to hash out some song ideas. Um, and so this data track exists like uh, uh, on this compilation, but it's really hard to play. And like most people have never heard it. You know, you have to like put the CD into a computer and be able to like open a data track or have a CD player that plays a data track. You know, it doesn't play as a regular track. So I listened to it and it's like really cool, but it's it's long, it's a little repetitive. And so I edited it down to make it like more digestible and manageable and threw in some like some of that old footage just over this audio. It's just, it was just a dat tape that was recorded, you know, like from this get together that they did. And they're, you know, they're basically, and there's some chit chat between Guy and Mark and like, you know, I've never seen interviews with guys, so it's like you get to hear like him talk and his personality. So for the hardcore fans, I think that this is like something really special. Like it'll be really cool. And um, there's also I have a website called www.nycrocks.tv, mm-hmm. and uh, all that you can find everything there. Also, so you can you know. Just go to that website and the different episodes will appear there and there's more information and a press release. Um, and some of the past works we've done for NYC Rocks, which is a web two seasons of a web series and the bitch, a ladies tribute to metal documentary. Um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, what the idea is to to release these sort of like one week apart, like kind of old school style where yeah, yeah. Be like like you can build a little anticipation. You're not just like dumping all the episodes at once and hopefully like it'll, you know, build a little momentum and attention to going forward, you know, as people hear about it, maybe, you know, have that, oh, we can, you can talk about it in between like the week, you know, like it used to do. <laughs> so that was part of the idea. Well, that's what we're planning on here. So listeners, you have, this will be debuted uh, 8 PM on Thursday night. So you have a chance uh, to watch, episode one and get ready for episode two. And we will have all of these links and everything Damien just mentioned right down below in the um, show notes for the show. Well, it's um, invaluable content and we thank you for doing that. Thank you for joining us. We uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, man. I'm glad uh, you you guys caught, caught wind of the film, you know, like I didn't know how many people, like how it would get out there, but uh, yeah, I'm glad people are, People are digging it and it sort of seems to be accomplishing the mission and, and, you know, accomplishing Mark's mission of getting his music out to the world also. Well, thank you. Nice to meet Sounds you guys good. and thanks for all having me. Yeah. Well, see you, man. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye. Wow. What a story. And it's just getting better. There you have Damien Collodi, the filmmaker behind the four-part docuseries Immortal Soul, a riot tribute and concert film. Well, we have on the line right now, Rick Ventura. Rick was the guitarist for the band during the heyday, the uh, Narita, Fire Down Under, Restless Breed period. He was there uh, at the pinnacle, the peak. So uh, let's get him on here. Rick, welcome to Metal Mayhem. Thanks for joining us. So right off the bat, have you had a chance to, even though you're in this docuseries, have you had a chance to see the first two episodes? If so, what do you think? Yes, I have. I, it was really a, I mean, such brought back a lot of memories, a lot of uh, footage that I never saw before, which was, which was really, really cool. You know, that, I mean, it was, I saw some images of, uh, 
of the band um, before I was in the band and before things an original band actually when they were doing covers and mm-hmm. and playing at parties and stuff like that. I remember that there was one footage there where I, where I saw myself standing in the background watching the band, which was kind of cool. Like God, it's like teenagers, you know. <laughs> and that was, that was part, that was part of what I expressed to Damien in our interview that the imagery and the the documentation of those old eight millimeter home movies and all this media that they were fortunately able to obtain it really painted a visualization of that time period right yeah there's something you know about the eight millimeter it's just you know it just shows you that period you know, so it's like when you watch stuff from the from the twenties and thirties, you know, footage from that period, and then you, you know, every decade, you know, this new advancements in technology, and you and you see it, you know, yeah. and that just screams, you know, seventies. And um, Mark was really into eight millimeter. He used to do a, he used to film a lot, and he, he did a lot of uh, he did some. For my mistake, he did some primitive claymation stuff too. He was really into eight. So some of that footage is probably his. It was pretty cool how Damien mentioned in our interview with him that yeah. he actually obtained the material through Mike Flins, right. who I guess was keeping in touch with Mark's dad. Which, yes, And he exactly. went back to his house and just basically he said he gave him everything. That's Boxes of figured. photos and yeah, so pretty amazing. Yeah, because I was looking at that stuff and well, this definitely is from, you know, from Mark's archives um because he was always with the camera and uh so it was it was a real blast seeing seeing that footage you know it was just it just you know took, took me back to that period and uh saw a lot of friends in in the uh in the footage there and the evolution of the band well yeah damien Absolutely. also mentioned that giles laverly mm-hmm. that was you know he was in he was the producer of that that right the metal voice did something on riot so he was the one that actually him and mark they obtained all this but then nothing was labeled so it took them a while to go through everything and inventory inventory it but so for you to see all that stuff that must have been a real treat rick to oh no doubt in fact i'm probably gonna watch it again (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I watched it uh, with my girlfriend, and uh, she got a kick out of it. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch it again because, uh, you know, how often do you see stuff like this? <laughs> every once in every twenty, thirty, forty years, you know. So, so it'll be a blast going through it. Um, it's like going through, you know, just the other day I was going through music that I've had on all various formats, from mini disc to to SD cards to like, and it's like, and, and even cassettes. And I'm going, wow, I have to spend some time going through all this. And it's really a monumental task to really go through all these different formats and try to, you know, pick out some gems that might be floating about over the past number of years. So that's a major undertaking. So I can imagine what Giles and, and Mike uh, went through getting that footage and and Damien putting this all together. I would have loved to have been there actually because I was there, you know, yeah. doing that pinning it. 
if so, but it would have been cool if they had reached out to me, but whatever. At hey, Rick, just a, a question on um, your emotional reaction to seeing these pictures. Uh-huh. Were there any images or footage that you saw that maybe, maybe you said to yourself, wow, I've actually never seen a photo of myself at that show? Or maybe you said, oh my God, I forgot about that show. Or, you know, it was something that took you back to a time where maybe you needed almost to re remember again all about a certain emotional experience you had with the band. What was your takeaway on seeing these things for the first time? Yeah, that's why I want to revisit it uh, because it went by so quick. And, uh, you know, watching my father's place, you know, that was a very memorable moment to come off the road. And um, it was very exciting to play in our hometown. So yeah. that that was a drill. And, and, and just seeing um, some friends in the audience there, um, there's a lot of right there's a lot of shots uh that i haven't seen because i I tend to uh i don't know when everything if if something's ever recorded or filmed i I tend to never watch it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's like for some reason i just um okay like people say hey aren't you watching this why aren't you doing this i'm gonna (laughs) you know but then you know decades later it's like Oh wow, that's that's kind of cool. I, I don't remember seeing that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do watch it again this weekend and pick out some things there. But there was definitely some um, some footage, you know, hanging out in the cars uh, that I totally forgot about. You know, you, well, you know, kidding around. You know, a bunch of like bunch of friends just hanging out. You know, just having fun. Those times you tend to forget, but it was very cool scene the good times that we had together was we all really really were like good friends and got along quite well do you ever stop and think it's like this filmmaker he discovered this band that's 40 years old and just discovered them three years ago and damien put this much effort blood sweat and tears into something digging up this media of your life and it's just like yeah. thank you for this gift. Yeah, it's it still surprises me um, that after all these years, I mean, there, there was something about that band that um, that just ignites something in 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 a new audience. Um, yeah, that that blew me away that he, he was just turned on to the band so recently, and to make the effort. Of doing this, yeah. uh, obviously, the ba- band means a lot to him, and he wants to get it out there. He, he feels that it's worth the music's and the story's worthy enough to let more people know about um, the music and and what the band has been through. So, kudos to him. You know, it's I was really, it was really in- impressive, and uh, I thanked him. Hey, Rick, I, I, one, one comment I have, or observation I have in the film is that, um, yes, he goes back in history, and there was the focus it was around Riot uh, 5 playing at the Keep It True Festival. Yeah. But you, as we all know, we you have a version, your own band called Riot Act, uh, right. that covers off on uh, the period of the four albums that you played on. Right. Um, talk about the guys in Riot Act, your band members, 
their history with the origins of Riot. You know, were they fans? Were these guys that lived it too? And maybe in a sense, like, um, you know, it would be nice that if we could include a little bit of Riot Act into some of the discussions about the legacy of the band going forward. Yeah, that would have been nice. And I, I really, like I, like you said, I really didn't do an one-on-one with him. Uh, it would have been nice, you know, chapter four, if we went into that, you know, talked about Riot Act. Uh, I mean, there was... I'll be surprised when I watch chapter four, but I really don't know what to expect. Um, but as far as uh, members of, of Riot Act, the only one that really knew about Riot was our drummer Claudio. Um, I, he was the first person I met. Uh, I, I used to run into him at jams. And uh, one time I got to jam and then you know, he found out that I was in Riot and he was just like, he knew everything about Riot, you know, so <laughs> he even uh, opened me up to some things that I didn't even know, which was kind of cool and how Riot was viewed uh, in various countries. He's from Argentina and he used to tell me how popular the album Narita was. Mm -hmm. And um, so he... You know, knew more about Riot than the other two. I, Paul and 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 Don he heard the name, but I don't think they knew much about the band. Um, uh, we, like Riot was always under the radar, you know. Um, but Claudia knew knew a lot. I mean, he really knew, you know. So that was kind of cool, and he was educating the other two about Riot, which is I always find interesting. But to bring in um, and to form a new band, Rick, I mean, a guy Ooh. like Don Chafin, mm. as we're talking about here, who assumes the role of vocalist. Mm. I mean, you guys put out an album of great, great brand and great album last year of new material. Mm. But for somebody like him, he has to connect to the history and the sound and, and the, the, the aura of the band or it's not going to work in 2022 or 2023. So talk about Don. Like, how did he grasp the concept of riot and the legacy that you were trying to bring into modern day times. Really? Oh uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, he started listening to the records because we had, we did a 12 song EP uh, before we got, before I, the uh, new material was released. Um, we went, revisited that dozen uh, riot songs that Don really wanted to get it right. Uh, he's pretty meticulous. And the more he listened to Riot um, and Guy's lyrics and his delivery, he really started to appreciate um, what, what Riot was and Guy's uniqueness. Um, I was really did well uh, with lyrics, uh, telling a story, and I, and that's part of the reason I think songs resonate with old fans and new fans. There are there are stories um, he tells, and 
when we were recording, you know, Don really did his homework. I mean, there were times we were in the studio and I'm in the control room and he's going, how is that, Rick? And I'm going, I, I feel like it's like 40 years ago and I'm in the studio with guys singing. It was kind of eerie. Yeah. Because <laughs> really his timber, his range, um, he was the first vocalist that really captured Guy. Like I've seen all the vocalists that, and there's some great vocalists, you know, that Riot had throughout the years, um, but no one really could capture Guy, and and Don was the only one that could really do that. Um, so, and we've been well received. Uh, the last few tours we've done in England, in Europe, I mean, everyone seems to love the band, and it's. I mean that's that's the goal, right? To play and <laughs> and be well received. Because if it wasn't well received, you know, I wouldn't be here now. We wouldn't be discussing anything. But uh, all the shows have been great. You know, it's really a unique situation because we see it time and time again in today's rock landscape of some older bands. They splinter off. You have several different versions. Sure. But it's not like that with this because you're even though you're not original, you're as close to original. Now we're talking you know, the very beginning, but you're sure. you know there you're there for that that heyday period of the original riot. And right. then the riot five guys, that's the the next generation after you left the band, after they came back. It's sort of like, you know, the the second wife and the second family. And you're all just celebrating the spirit of Riot. Riot Act does your thing. You had Closer to the Flame, your original material, but yet you're playing the Riot that you were involved with. And then Danny and, you know, the second and third incarnations, they're doing, they're carrying the torch for Riot 5. And they had a lot of great material. It was a different band, like you said, You've been on record saying that later period, that's, that's a different band, even though it said riot, like originally they came out with Narita. So Mm -hmm. it's what I'm really trying to say is again, it's a celebration. And I think there's enough room for everyone to be acknowledged and respected. You know, it'd be a real cool thing is for riot act and (laughs) riot five to play together i don't know i've heard you know a few people had mentioned that you know and uh i guess that would be interesting right because there's fans of both eras uh, there's fans that like both bands uh and and you know the you know fans are very fickle (laughs) yeah i know know, it's like you know you you, you know Take for example, Deep Purple. Like a lot of people say, "Ah, oh, Deep Purple is not Deep Purple without Richie Blackmore," you know. And well, excuse me, Walt, you missed this. He's making a Rick was making a Deep Purple reference. Ah, my favorite. <laughs> oh, he's a Purple fan. Huh? Yeah, yes, okay. yes. Okay. So, so Rick was saying, uh, commenting on, you know, the split. You know, is it Deep Purple, Richie Blackmore, without Richie Blackmore? Now here they are, thir- three, four guitarists down the line. You have the right, new yeah. guy replacing Steve Morris. and yep. so, Yeah, I mean, you know, they had, uh, wow, you know, like 
I mean, after Gillen, you know, Coverdale Hughes. Um, so, they, but, you know, a few vocalists there. So, I mean, but Rob Wright's been through so many changes and saying, mm-hmm. but, it, you know, it's it's essentially, it was Mark doing his thing and keeping it going. You know, he just, you know, just went in a different direction, you know, after the period that I was in the band. It's just different now because <laughs> there's no, those guys you know, they carried on, they're playing original riot material. It's yeah. still part of their set. It's not like they're a tribute band because they're not, they're just playing stuff from your era, but you're not playing stuff from the later era. You're playing your era, riot, And then your new band stuff. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's basically my, my whole thing was just, if I want to do this, I want to, I want to play new material. I, I don't want to yeah. be, Tribune just going out there playing the old stuff. Of course, you want to you want to play that stuff because I like playing it. I love playing <laughs> those songs. It's it's just so much fun. It just you know it just brought me back to what it was like to be in in Riot during that period and to play those songs and just to see the people's reaction. And I think they they get a thrill. I've seen an original member from that era playing. You know, that's the whole magic. Like if I go see right. a band that I'm a fan of, you know, and it's whoever that particular guy from the original. That's like ah, you know, that's something magical about that. You know, yeah. and you can see it in the fans' faces when we play the songs. Um, so that, that's like, you know, that's very rewarding. Yeah. What one question about the uh, video footage from the from the uh, documentary? Where was that that concert? Was it Long Island? That the I say pro shot the the video where um, oh. the guy saying, "Hey, we came all the way up from Texas for this gig." Yeah, so yeah. Where was that? That was a, a, a very well known venue, my father's place in Roslyn, Long Island. Yeah. I mean, everybody played there. That was that was the place to play. So, and you know, the radio broadcast from WLIR. I mean, that was like, oh wow, you know, to be that we were like so thrilled to be playing there. That that was you know, great. Frankly, I love the pictures know. of the the people in the crowd and right. the one guy with the Aussie shirt. You know, it I was am. like, <laughs> um, and just again, it's just a, a yeah. time piece. It's the girls oh, with yeah, the hair no, no and. Yeah, no doubt. Very memorable uh, performance and gig. Rick, you mentioned earlier, you you said you saw an image of, to correct me if I'm wrong, you said you saw a performance. It was an image of the band performing, but you were an audience member? Yeah, I think it was, it might have been at a, a block party, which were very popular in the 70s. Uh, bands perform uh, in the neighborhood, and Riot did that's how I came across Riot. Uh, they were a three-piece band. And that's why I want to go back and look at that footage because while I was watching it, I just, I saw it, but I said, that's me. <laughs> I'm watching the band. So I'm going to go back and revisit that. Yeah, because I, I, I would always follow the band around. You know, the first time I saw uh, them, Riot play at one of these block parties, I was like, oh, you know, who are these guys? <laughs> so, most bands were playing uh, just pop stuff at, at at these parties. You know, you you go, you go see bands, ah, you know, and and then all of a sudden you hear this like 
crazy guitar playing, <laughs> distorted guitar playing in it. And I remember going, what the hell is this? And and go over and going out and finding, you know, Mark and Phil and Peter um, playing Montrose Band Company, uh, just mm-hmm. all over the place, just really humble, heavy, just, just heavy stuff. And it was like, and I, I always used to follow the bit, follow them around and then I became friends with Mark because he lived, you know, right around the corner from me. So that was a trip finding that out, you know, so I was at his house like every day. <laughs> How many years do you think it took, let's say, from the time you discovered Riot to you joining the band? Was it two, three, four years? Uh, yeah, well, that's 17, yeah, probably, yeah, probably at least three years, at least. In French? Yeah, at least three, maybe even four. If there was, yeah, there was so many ch- lineup changes in the in the band, even in the early days. You know, it was just um, it was mostly covers, but then th- there was the point where it's like, wow, now it's time to get serious, and that's when you know when Guy came into the picture because Locke did the, all the vocals when they when they were a cover band. Um, then when Guy came into the picture, it was like, "Oh, okay, now it's now it's time to get serious." We gotta. I gotta ask you about. You don't have to go that far into it. The whole record company contract, and yeah. because in the documentary, again, we're talking about the Immortal Soul, a riot right. tribute and concert film done by Damien Collati. Um, the whole. How bad was that record label? contract and how much of a presence was it within the band because you know you guys got shafted if you will well i mean it's the typical story with any you know you listen to interviews with practically every band and they say the same exact thing i was you know i was watching uh, i think yeah peter peter patelli he was talking about it in the uh in the documentary and uh you know, you young kids, the manager comes over, sign this. You guys want to make it? Sign this. <laughs> and he was like, oh boy, what are we going to do, you know? And uh, right, the deal, like Peter said, you know, it wasn't a great deal. But I guess you, you're you at that age and you just have stars in your eyes and it's just, uh, you, it's almost like you'll do anything, you know? I mean... Famous stars talk about what they've been through, <laughs> contracts that they signed, and they can't believe they did that, you know. Um, but we had a, the opportunity to break away, and, and we didn't, you know. Something's just uh, didn't sit right towards the end of my period, and, you know, I it don't is know why what Mark it is. It is tied, tied to it. Yeah. 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 What are you going to do? You can't change it. But, um, well, 2023 Riot Act, you got done this fall. You did a little headliner uh, throwback where you did Fire Down Under in its entirety. Over, where where was that? Over in Japan? Is well, the, in England. England, England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, how'd it go? Was it a success? Oh, oh, it was great. It was great. It was great. It was real. All the shows, I mean, the fans really came out they brought their records out and that, that was a trip um yeah it was really 
uh, there were some shows, quite in fact, most, most of the shows, people, they were singing the songs from Fire Down Under. I mean, that's so much those songs mean to, to the fans. Um, I, I would speak to them after the show and they were just like, they were just telling the stories of like what it was like, you know, hearing that record for the first time. And, and a lot of them said it was like one of their t- top 10 albums. <laughs> of, of all time so it's like to hear that is just like you know you just kind of chill <laughs> hey rick if 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 mark had not passed away do you think he'd still be carrying the riot band forward you know 12 years later i'm sure he would have i'm sure he would he would have kept it going and i would have loved to think that we could have been reunited at one point because there was a point before he, he did the Thundersteel reunion that we both spoke quite a few times about getting the original lineup together with the new vocalist. And he, I almost had him going, you know, it's, he was like, he was saying, yeah, you think so? Really? And we, we spoke quite a few times at length about doing something, um, but never materialized. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, you know, passed away a few years after that. Uh, but I think it would have been kind of cool, you know, if we got together even to do one record. I'm sure Mark would still would have been doing it. Yeah. So, Rick, what's next for Riot Act 2024? More dates, new studio stuff? How do you yeah. take the band from this point forward? Yeah, well, it, you know, this the whole music industry is just, it's, it's always been tough, but it's even tougher now. Um but we're we're going to the studio and recording new material because that's what you do when <laughs> you're yeah. a new band. So uh, I have a lot a lot of a lot of material, and uh, we got about three or four new ideas that are really good that we're going to over the next two months we're going to be recording, and we'll hopefully have an album out maybe maybe by fall. Maybe by fall, and uh, dates. Our man Giles is working on on dates for us, so hopefully we'll be out there. Most probably in Europe, I would think. Well, again, the documentary is "Immortal Soul: A Riot Tribute and Concert Film" by Damien Kalaudi. Uh, it's on YouTube and four parter, and this Saturday at two p.m. Chapter three will debut and. Chapter four is next Saturday at 2 p.m. on YouTube. So, Rick Ventura, uh, thanks for uh, spending the afternoon with us and sharing your commentary on this. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking about it. Thanks, Damien, if you're listening, for doing this. Walt, any parting shots for Rick? No, Rick, it was just good to see you again, and uh, we'll see you the next time we have an occasion to to get it out there. If not, I'm going to drive to your basement. Going to go hang out in that basement. (laughs) Looks like a cool place to hang. Yeah, John, well, next time John comes, we're going to go in. We're going to Queens, okay. so we're going to hang in your basement. All right. It sounds like a plan, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have fun. Thank you. Take care, All right. Thanks, guys. Take care, man. All Thanks, right, Rick. See you soon. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. Rick Ventura, his commentary on Immortal Soul, a riot tribute and concert film. Well, let's wrap this up. What's your finalized take on all this? It, it got me inspired again to go back and, and appreciate the band Riot because they really are a treasure. 
And it's really nice to know all these years later that somebody new's coming back in there, discovering it, getting the passion for it, and bringing the public awareness back into the band. You just see in the discussion with Rick, who was there, smiles on his face, enthusiasm. He's reflecting back and he's loving everything about the life that was put him on the map in the band. And I'm just so happy that we got a chance to talk to the filmmaker relive our own memories, John, and also have a nice closing piece in speaking to Rick about a guy who was there in the sweet spot of the band's history. Yeah, well said. All right, well, you know, just a quick reminder, get up to the website, MetalMayhemROC.com, sign up for our newsletter, stay in touch with us, and, you know, go back and check all things out. Coming up in the near future, uh, interview with Roy Z surrounding the new Bruce Dickinson release, and hopefully in the spring, someone from Judas Priest as the um, Invincible Shield is gaining momentum, and that comes out real soon. For my co-host, Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic, and we are Metal Mayhem ROC. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.